is risen and right so we're still celebrating Easter and uh, some of you uh, may have been here for the first time uh, this past Easter visiting us and if you're back uh, checking us out and and seeing what UPC is about what Jesus Christ is about we are just absolutely excited and delighted if you are from the north this is a signal to you that you can now wear white because we are past Easter. So just so you know, that's a thing, I think. At least that's what my wife told me. Um, so my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm just excited to share with you a bit about the word faith. It is a word that is used often, is it not? In lots of different places, in lots of different ways. But we're going to hear from Paul talk a little bit about faith. From Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. So if you have your Bible or if you can pull it out of the chair in front of you or share it with someone or look at it online, however you wish to. But if you could follow along with me, Galatians uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous, righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise, Spirit, through faith. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Merciful Lord, I pray that we would hear your call, that we would know your words. By faith, Father, I pray that you would speak through, through me and that you would use your words to bring us to faith, to live by faith, to walk in faith. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Faith, an often used term. The dictionary defines it this way, complete trust or confidence in someone or something, or a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. We speak about it in many ways, mostly in terms of religious statements, don't we, like what is your faith? Or have faith? Or it takes faith? It is an act of faith. Or my favorite, of course, it takes a leap of faith. There are so many ideas and thoughts in each one of these statements in each way the word faith is used. Oftentimes, faith is seen at odds with reason or thought. We see faith as something that lacks understanding or knowledge. 
it is in many ways seen in the negative. In other words, smart, capable people live in the world of reason and understanding, math, science, and the like, you know, the provable things. This is the view of the world today, is it not? That it is where the true cool kids hang out, is in the world of thought and reason. We should just trust it. We should trust in logic and in reason. Faith, however, is for the unintellectual. Frederick Nietzsche, in the 19th century philosopher, who many people say, quote, exerted profound influence on modern intellectual history, said of faith, and I quote, a casual stroll through the lunatic asylum shows that faith does not prove anything. Often the intellectual world puts the word blind in front of faith, particularly when referring to religious faith. Some say that it is a blind faith. Karl Marx went so far to say that religion is the opium of the people, or religion was constructed by people to calm uncertainty over their role in the universe and in society. In many people's view, faith is just wishful thinking and misguided hope. But this is a far cry from the true biblical understanding of faith. First of all, we all breathe, live, operate in a world of faith. Our actions in the world and our knowledge of the world involves some kind of faith. When you get out of bed in the morning, you believe, you have faith, that the floor will be beneath your feet and you will stay there. This theologians call general faith. Even scientists rely on general faith. Lee and I were recently driving on 417, headed south to go to Disney for a very special dinner. Traveling down 417 at approximately 75 miles an hour, which, by the way, is still reasonably within the speed limit. <laughs> we were driving in the left-hand lane, and on my left side was, of course, the Jersey barrier, since Orlando basically has construction on every single road at the same time. And on my right was the lane next to me where cars were whizzing past me since people drive much faster than 75 miles an hour. But I realized in front of me the car had stopped dead in the highway. And so, in faith, I jammed my foot on the brakes. Having faith that somehow and in some way, and I don't begin to understand all the mechanical rules and processes that go into it, but somehow and in some way those brakes would work and that they would bring me to a sudden stop before I would hit the car. I had great faith that that would work. I didn't stop and question it. I didn't analyze it in the time that I had. I didn't try to calculate what the scientific reasoning behind it was. I only had faith that it would work. It did, kind of. 
It began to stop the car, to be clear. Unfortunately, not in enough time. And I ended up striking the car in front of me. That's a whole different story. Instead of general faith, we're going to talk about what the Bible says is saving faith. Paul describes saving faith in verse 11 of our text. The one who by faith is righteous. Yes, I know if you're looking at your Bible right now in your ESV or NIV, it doesn't actually say that. However, the Greek as it's written would be better translated as the one by faith is righteous will live. Paul is referring to Habakkuk 2.4, and so it is better translated the way, the way he writes it to translate the Hebrew in the way it's translated in Habakkuk. And so it's more obvious that it's referring back to previous statement. But to be certain, Paul here and in other letters, and honestly throughout all of Scripture, when speaking of faith, which is a noun, or believing, which is the verb form of the same word, all are speaking of a person's faith in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the means by which we are seen by a holy God as righteous and without sin. But what is faith? It is understood in biblical terms in three ways. Knowledge, belief, and trust. We're going to look closer at each one of these. Knowledge, in this context, is a sim simply a knowledge of God's revelation, either special or general. It is a knowledge about God, not a personal knowledge or friendship with God, nor is it knowledge that revelation is necessarily true. Rather, it is a simple knowledge of what God's Word says. Now, it is good to emphasize that faith is about knowledge. Some people think that faith is a leap in the dark or believing something without evidence. But it is a knowledge of the Word or the Bible and the Word itself is evidence to truth. Faith does, something, faith does sometimes call us to go against the evidence of our senses, as Abraham did according to Romans 4, 19 through 21. It says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So as far as faith as Abraham's senses were concerned, God's promise seemed to go against the evidence. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a son, but both Abraham and Sarah were too old to have children. But remember that the best evidence is God's own word. 
Abraham knew that if God told him that he would have a child, he could rely upon that. So in the most important sense, Abraham's faith was based on evidence, the highest of evidence. Or as we are saying at this point, it is based upon his knowledge. To have faith in God is indeed to know him. It is to know his character. It is to know his promises. And it is to know his love for his people. J.I. Packer wrote an entire book on this subject called Knowing God. He starts the book with a quote from another, another wonderful man of God, Charles Spurgeon. And he says this, It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's people is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. But who is God? To know God is to help to understand who he is. And the best description that I know of, as hard as it is to describe the great God that we worship, is written in the Westminster Confession of Faith. When it answers the question, who is God? It is written this way. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. This statement, the great Charles Hodge described as the best definition of God ever penned by man. But how can we know God? Is it possible to know God and not have faith? Can we know his description? Can we know his words? Can we know his character and his promises? And can we know his people and not have faith? Can we know his mighty works and creation and history? Can we stare into the beauty of the earth? And look into the vastness of space and the face of a newborn child with wonder and awe and not have faith? Yes. Yes, I believe we can. As an illustration, I could know of a great marksman in all of his or her achievements and awards and skills. But I will tell you the truth, I would not stand a hundred yards from them with an apple on my head and have faith that they could shoot the apple and not me. The second element of faith is belief. 
That is, faith is not only knowing what God's word excuse me, says, it is also believing that that word is true. Some have been known to say that this idea is not so important. In other words, it doesn't matter what you believe in your head as long as you love God in your heart. Honestly, that idea is not biblical. Scripturally, belief is necessary for faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. But is belief sufficient? Is belief sufficient for true faith? James 2.19 says that the devils believe that God is one and they tremble. In Mark 5, we find an interesting account of Jesus and the demons. It reads this way, And crying out with a loud voice, the demon said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure by, uh, you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked the demons, what is your name? The demons replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the demons begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The demons themselves begged Jesus not to torment them or send them far away. Why? Because it's quite clear. Even the demons know who Jesus is, and they believe that he is God and has power over them and all things, and yet they do not have faith. Is it possible to have knowledge of God and to believe in his sovereignty, his power, his majesty, and not have faith? Yes. It is. Continue the illustration. I can know of a great marksman and all of his or her achievements, awards, skills. And I can believe that it is possible for them to do great things. I might even believe this because I saw them hit an apple sitting on a stand from far away. But would I stand a hundred yards from them with an apple on my head and have faith that they could shoot the apple and not me? No, I would not. It is possible to believe some or even many of the truths of the Bible and not be saved. Not to argue with John Mayer, but belief can't. Our third element of faith is trust. Trust has two components to it. One is a deep and rich understanding in our minds and in our hearts. And the second is related so closely. It is interwined so much that the two must be together. And that is 
our actions and our behaviors. It is such that one cannot live without the other. We might say that obedience must follow trust, or there is no trust at all. Trust includes knowledge and belief, but it is a much richer concept. Satan himself believes quite a lot about God's Word and Revelation, maybe even all of it, but he doesn't allow his knowledge of God's Word to govern his thoughts, his actions, and his behaviors. If he did, he would plead for God's mercy and ask for forgiveness, but he doesn't do that. In other words, he doesn't trust in God. Trust in a biblical sense is trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. We trust Him as Savior to save us from sin and to give us eternal life. Many scriptures present this trust in many different terms, but it's the same idea such as receiving Christ in John 1, coming to Jesus in Matthew 11 and John 6, and drawing near to God through Jesus, as in Hebrews 7. But notice, the primary meaning of this is not believing that I am saved. It is not believing in me that I am saved. It is believing in Jesus, trusting Him for our salvation. Not only believing that, but believing in. This is what the devils can never do. They can believe abstractly that Jesus is the Savior of His people, but they cannot trust Him for their salvation. A faith, a faith that restores us, a faith that redeems us and brings us life is knowing God and His Word, believing in Him and His work in life and in death on the cross, and trusting in His resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. If you have never trusted God in this way, then hang with me a little bit longer, and together we will pray for that very thing to happen. Do you remember the illustration of the sharpshooter? I could know many things about the sharpshooter. I could believe in the skills, the awards, the accolades, the achievements of him, but I could not trust in the certainty that he could fulfill the promise to shoot the apple, and the apple only, off my head. But, but if the shooter was perfect in every way, and had the power to fulfill every promise that I could trust, then he would do as he promised to hit the apple, I am sure of it. 
without harming even the smallest hair on my head. The only one, the only one who is and was and will be perfect is Jesus. Remember our second element of trust is subjection to Christ as Lord, a willingness in us to obey him. As James 2 says, faith must be living, obedient faith, faith that works, or else it is dead. Jesus is Lord. And as we have seen, the most fundamental confession of the New Testament is that very thing from God's people. It is not only a confession of the mouth, but is a commitment that directs all of life. We are called and even led by the Holy Spirit to obey. To trust is to act as he tells us in his word. If we trust him, then certainly we can trust his holy word. We've been speaking so far mainly of faith at the beginning of the Christian life. It is a faith that saves. But faith at the moment of trust in Christ brings us into a fellowship with the living God. Faith does not stop after that first moment. It persists through the Christian life and is important to our day-to-day relationship with God. Paul says that faith, hope, and love abide in us. They remain throughout our whole lives in us. We see in Hebrews 11 how the great saints of the Old Testament acted again and again by faith. In this passage and in elsewhere, there is a contrast between faith and sight. Now, don't take this the wrong way. They are not walking by faith as if walking in the dark. The heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 had a good understanding of where they were going. But God's word had promised them the blessings of the covenant, and they knew they could trust those promises. If we have seen faith is based upon knowledge, but it's the knowledge of God's word, not the knowledge of our own eyes. God told Abraham that he would have a son, but that didn't appear possible since Abraham and Sarah were far too old. Yet, He believed anyway. His faith was based upon the knowledge of God's promises. But until Isaac was born, he didn't see the fulfillment of that promise. Similarly, the saints of Hebrews 11, they did not see the city of God that God had promised his people. They didn't see the fulfillment, but they continued to believe because they knew that God's promises were sure, more sure even, than the evidences of their own eyes. 
So, the Lord calls all believers, each one, to walk by faith. As Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So true saving faith involves knowledge, belief, and trust in Jesus. Faith is ours to have, but it is not in us that we have faith. Faith which transforms us, which restores us to how we were meant to be, which reforms our every thought, word, and action is with the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God the Father, in the person and work of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Life, life that is joyous, life that is peaceful, life as it was meant to be, is with faith, by faith. And in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that we, Father, are sinners, that we have rebelled against you since the beginning of time, that we have rebelled against you since our own births. Father, that we cannot, in any power of our own, come before you as righteous, for you are a holy and righteous God, but by the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to earth through the Virgin Mary, to be born into this world, to suffer, and to die on the cross for our sins, to take the punishment that we deserved as a rebellious people, that you, Father, died and three days later rose again, walked amongst your people, talked and ate with your people, and rose to heaven to be with you on your right hand, to intercede for us. Father, I pray that in faith, knowing your word, knowing who you are, believing that it is indeed true, that what you say can be trusted and can be walked with and worked with in every aspect of our lives, and trusting in you for every day of our lives. And in that, we can have salvation in you. I pray, Father, for all who are here, for those who know you and for those who don't, that we would come to an understanding in faith, that we would come to salvation in faith, and that we would learn to trust and obey you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Quickly, sorry, this is an interruption. So, two things. One, 
We are uh, um, at the end of the service.